Last week we kicked off this series, Barbie and Ken and the Fate of the Human Race. Uh, this whole idea of the fate of the human race is relationships are such a big deal. Uh, they're a huge deal for you and for I. They bring the greatest amount of joy uh, earthly possible, right? I mean, we experience the greatest highs, and yet at the same time, the closest relationship you have will also cause you the greatest amount of pain. And how we do relationships matters, but it matters not just for us, although that's really important. It sends this ripple effect. Because how you do relationships, if you have kids, will impact and shape how your kids think about relationships or going to have kids. How you do relationships will impact and have this ripple effect on those around you. I mean, just, I, I remember Jenny and I, a few years back, we were celebrating an uh, anniversary of ours, and we're out, and it was our nine-year, so it was a couple years back, uh, our nine-year anniversary, and we're at uh, Pizza Antica, and we're, you know, having a lot of fun, and our, our uh, gal, uh, who was the waitress at the time, was like, hey, what are you, special night? Yeah, yeah, it's our anniversary. We've been married nine years, and she's like, wow, people don't really make it that long anymore. I'm like, it's nine years. I mean, we're just starting. <laughs> But the reality is, is how we do relationships has this ripple effect. And when we look around and we see the devastation or the, the broken relationships all around us, it causes us, can we ever really experience true intimacy? Can we ever truly experience a relationship that lasts? And so we're diving into this series, Barbie and Ken, The Fate of the Human Race, and talking about how to experience relationships that last for a lifetime, how to experience relationships that bring life and you experience intimacy. Uh, Last week we said this, the fate of the human race rests not on the expectations we have, but on the foundations we've laid. Uh, That we have these expectations and these dreams and desires that we come into a relationship with, but the reality is, is sometimes even those are nice and we have this kind of Barbie and Ken reality world and we, you know, especially girls have been dreaming about this for a long time and guys, we just start thinking about it once we get the ring, honestly, you know, but we're like, oh, but we have these expectations that are built in from our families, built in from our uh, past, built in from uh, our friends and those around us. And, it's, and those aren't necessarily bad. Sometimes they are. Sometimes we have the fairy tale fantasy. But the reality is it's your foundations, it's what you do that matters, not the expectations you have. And so as we continue, we're going to dive in. And really the rest of the series is unpacking that one concept. And really we're going to just get really uh, applicable, real practical for the next five weeks. Uh, this last week, I was running. I started running about a year ago just because I don't get to do what I love to do anymore. I love playing basketball and volleyball, but that doesn't happen near enough to stay semi in shape. So I started running. I run a few times a week. And this last week as I was running, uh, you know, I had my headphones on. I'm rocking out, you know, not to the oldies, but I was just, I mean, I was in a groove. You know, you know those days, like you're you're just kind of in a groove. I'm running. And as I'm running down my street and I run on the sidewalk, uh, and as I run on the sidewalk, I was looking and there was these um, orange uh, signs, You, you know, like the hazard signs. You know what I'm saying? Construction signs, yeah, they're the A-frame deal, right? Uh, And on it, 
uh, I just happened to notice that at the bottom was a little bat. I'm like, that is so weird. But it was like the Batman type bat, you know, deal. And so I couldn't help but focus on the Batman. I'm like trying, and there's a bunch of these along the street. So I'm trying, as I'm passing them, trying to read what it is. I'm like, oh, cool. Does my neighborhood have bats now? I'm like, that'd be kind of fun. You know, maybe it's underneath the sewers or something. I don't know. Uh, And so I'm like focused as much as I can. I'm like trying to read this, and yet I missed one critical step. The pavement kind of went up about four inches, and I, as I'm running, I catch my toe right on the edge. Don't even, I mean, I'm so oblivious because I'm so focused on the bat on the stinking sign that I miss all this, and before I know it, I fall flat on my face, and I land like I was right on, you know, this is the edge of the driveway right here. I land on the edge of the driveway. Uh, I like, see that? I mean, come on. <laughs> That's bad, right? I mean, it was bleeding at one point, okay? Um, and it kind of does hurt. It's bruised, okay? Um, man, I land so hard. Thankfully, my arm did catch me. And as I land, I'm just thinking, I wonder who else is watching. And I look up to the side, and I see this van driving by. I try to do a commando roll up and then try to keep going and wave, you know? As I <laughs> and the guy's just like, idiot, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Now, here's what I think we do with relationships. I think all too often we get focused on sideline things. And as a result, we hit a bump in our relationship, don't even know it's there. And all of a sudden, we land flat on our face and don't even know why. And the reality is, is it's all because of our focus where we were looking. This morning as we talk, we want to talk about this. The fate of the human race depends not on finding the right person, but on becoming the right person. And, and you know, some of you are showing up, you're like, Ingram, I'm, I'm married. I've already found the right person. We've already been through that. This is a mentality that we have. This is a focus that we have, that we go through. This is something we buy into, is that if when we find the right person, everything will work out right. It's something that we focus on. We got to find the right person. And so we get into a relationship and we kind of get going and all of a sudden we hit a hard time and we get slammed down. We don't know what's happened, but all we know is we must have not found the right person. You know, but the truth is, the reality is, is less about finding the right person and more about becoming the right person. It's interesting what, um, I love what uh, this guy, Stanley Howris of Duke University wrote, He said, destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment necessary for us to become whole and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry and that if we look closely enough, we will find the right person. You ever thought those thoughts before? This moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. Always marry the wrong person. We never truly know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if at first we marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. For marriage being the enormous thing that it is means that we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary challenge to marriage is learning how to love and care for a stranger to whom you find yourself married. 
And yet we buy into this, it is the focus of our relationships, it's what we look, we look to finding the right person, and the invitation is saying, you know, no, no, you become the right person. And as you become the right person, you will develop an experience, especially singles, here's the deal. You're, because I've talked to a lot of you guys, and, and you're going, wow, well, I'm always looking, I don't know, and I'm starting to get a little bit older, and, you know, I'm like 27, what do I do? No, 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 you focus on becoming the right person, and you will attract the right person. And in your relationship, the greatest thing that will help the longevity of your relationship is you become the right person. Now, let me give you an illustration for it, uh, because I, I think it's easier to see. Do, I, do we have anybody engaged here? Anybody? What? No? No engaged tonight, this morning? We'll have any, newly married, brand new married. All right, I'll take you guys. Come on up. Will you, will, will you help me? I, I didn't even ask. I just said, come on up. Good to see you guys. Thank you. Now, say your names real quick for everybody. Tim. I'm Allison. Tim and Allie. Um, go ahead and just sit down right on my couch right here, okay? Because this, this, is, this is how it works, okay? And we all buy into this. I, I do, and this is something that no one ever told me, and this is why it's so important when we talk about finding versus becoming. See, Tim and Allie, they, they just love one another. You know, they met, and, and, and sparks flew, and it was great. I love that you're sitting close. You can tell you're newly married, you know? <laughs> It was, and you had a good morning. Otherwise, if it was a bad morning, you would have been over. There would have been some space there. Uh, but, but, I mean, you have this just amazing moment. You like sparks flew. You got this chemistry. It's great. And here's what we believe. You know, that core belief is said, when we find the right person, everything will work out right. So the minute we, things don't work out right, what do we begin to think? I must have married the what? The wrong person. See, the first stage, there's really five stages of, of kind of marriage, of experiencing intimacy. The first stage is really the stage of the honeymoon stage. I mean, life is great. You're probably still in it. How long have you guys been married? Two months. Two months. Wow. How's it going? It's going well. Yeah, you have no other answer than that, my friend. You got to answer that. Two months in, you're in the honeymoon stage, you're kind of back, you're just figuring out life. Now, here's what we assume. We assume that when we get married, we start a new life together, right? We start this brand new life together, and so what do we do? We leave our old life behind us. We think that we start this new life, and so as a result, we leave our old life behind us. We leave our past baggage and junk. Well, what happens is about four to six months in, so you got a couple months, you move, you move from the honeymoon stage to the disillusionment stage, okay, where you're just disillusioned. And you begin to say things like this, because you begin to see some things popping up. If only Tim would change. You know, I mean, the way he kind of leaves his stuff all over the house. It, it, so did I hit a nerve? I'm sorry. I, you're the clean one? Okay. And, and maybe the vice versa? Okay. I'm not going there anymore. Because here's what happens. Here's inevitably what happens. You get married, 
And all of a sudden, you realize four to six months in, you're both selfish. And so you're sitting in this beautiful home that you've created, all brand new, but you brought into it garbage. And that's sitting there with you. You don't notice in the beginning because you're in the honeymoon stage, but all of a sudden you're like, the biggest thing you'll notice when you're first married, and those of us first, you know, that remember back, was how selfish we are. But then not only do you have that, but then you bring back baggage from your families. And you have baggage from your past family, and you have from your family. And, oh my goodness, well, what about those bad habits? There you go. And, and slowly but surely, it just begins to pile up. Oh, you know what? Wait a second. Um, you got some secret stuff that you didn't ever tell anyone, and it was hiding down here in the trunk. And you didn't think it would ever come out or be, have an impact, but it's sitting there right in the middle of your marriage. Here, can you hold on to that? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is what happens in every single relationship. And the reality is, is we, I can't even see you guys. <laughs> the reality is, is one of the things we focus on that destroys more marriages, more relationships, is this falsehood of finding the right person instead of becoming the right person. Because you bring in your own junk, no matter how sweet and how amazing you are, and you bring your own garbage. And just because it's a new relationship doesn't mean your old life doesn't follow you into that relationship. Can we thank these guys for coming up and go for it? Thank you. You can leave the trash. Can you get out here? I'll help. There we go. There we go. You bring in the garbage of selfishness, unresolved family issues, past wounds, stuff that you hoped you would never have to deal with again, and because you stuffed it, it will creep back in. You bring in bad habits and addictions, whether it's porn, eating disorder, whatnot. Maybe it's a misplaced identity. Destructive emotions that you kind of overlooked. And ladies, you do this. You give the guys especially the benefit of the doubt. Oh, he'll change. When we get married, everything will get better. Financial debt. See, stage one is the honeymoon stage where everything's absolutely perfect. Stage two, you begin to see the garbage in the relationship and it begins to come out and you begin to see parts of it and you become disillusioned. Going, you know what? It's their problem because you see what? Their garbage. And you go, you know what? If only they would change. But stage three, let me give you some encouragement. It's the misery stage. The misery stage is so, 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 so important. And every relationship goes through these five stages. Stage three is the misery stage. You realize you cannot change them. That is epiphany central. You just need to know both Jenny and I, within the first year of marriage, question whether we married the right people. I can tell you 11 years later, I don't know if she made a good decision, but man, sure I did. I sure did, okay, man? I'm going like, woohoo! I scored on this one. <laughs> but we went through the mis misery stage. 
I think that was probably five, six years in, where you're just wrestling. You realize you can't change them as, as much as you try. And this is where relationships go sideways in stage three. You try as hard as you can to change them. And then you begin to realize if, I, if they were the right person, then everything would work out right. And since it doesn't work out right, I must have married the wrong person. And you know what? That girl at the uh, gym, wow, she, we have kind of chemistry. Or that guy, man, he's, well, we kind of have chemistry. And maybe they're the right person. And we play stage one through three on repeat. And that's why second marriages have a higher divorce rate because we do the same thing and expect different results. Now stage four, if you can get to it, is the awakening stage. Instead of trying to change them and saying if only they would change, you begin to ask, this is a critical, critical question, what can I do to change? When you finally realize I cannot change you, nothing I can do, and when you do, it is only manipulation, it is only control. There's some things where you feel like you've kind of changed. You didn't change anyone. You may be controlling and sucking the life out of your marriage, but you did not change anyone. The awakening stage, you realize I can't change anyone. What is it I can only change? Me. And when you begin to answer that question, you begin to answer the question, who am I becoming? You stop dealing with the other person's garbage because that's a lot easier, by the way. You can point it out. It messes with you. It's so much safer to go, look, you got crap. Deal with it. And you go, you know what? I've got junk. I've got garbage. I can't deal with your garbage but I can definitely deal with mine. I have to become the right person. And as you do that, you'll experience the final stage, and it is the intimacy stage, where you become a team. Where you become a team, where you realize, hey, we're better together than we ever could apart. Where you realize your differences don't divide you, they actually make you stronger. Most people, because we buy into this one reality of finding the right person, never make it or get to the point where they get, where they buy in and say, you know what, it's not their problem, it's mine. I got to deal with me. Fate of the human race rests not on, be- on finding the right person, but on becoming. So the question then is, how do I become the right person? Let me give you a big relationship principle that falls right in line with this. The relationship principle is this. It's less about falling in love and more about growing in love. Falling in love focuses all on finding the right person, having that chemistry. Growing in love says, you know what, I'm going to become the right person. It's, it's less about falling in love. Now, d- get me, man, I'm not against emotions, okay? I'm not against feelings. I'm not against meeting the right person and having that click. But when that is supreme and that is priority and you don't have the foundation laid of becoming the right person, it will topple over quickly in your relationships. And you'll experience heartache and you'll be like me running, but sadly it won't just be you running a little mark on your elbow. It'll be a mark on your soul and your heart a scar, a deep wound, because relationships are way, way hard. It's less about falling in love and more about growing in love. Did you know the Bible 
doesn't speak a whole lot about finding the right person. I mean, you, you can search through it, but it speaks a ton, a ton about becoming the right person. In fact, we talk a lot about it here at Awakening in our series. I want to take you to one passage. It's in 1 Corinthians, and if you're familiar with the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13 is what? Anybody? The love chapter, that's right. It's the love chapter. And it is the love chapter for a reason. It is all about love. And if you've been to any weddings, this verse, this passage is the token passage read. And some of you are like, ah, gag me. You know, I've read this. This is old news. Do you know the context in which this passage was written? It was written to the Corinthian church, which is this extremely jacked up church. I mean, it's just so messed up. If you read the first kind of 11 chapters of the book, you realize, man, they're they really screwed up. And this chapter is Paul's answer to how screwed up they are. I mean, I mean, just think about this. They were fighting one another. They were suing one another. This is just all, in, this is church. I mean, it's just like they're showing up and they're like, okay, you, you, me, outside, let's go. And they take it on. When they, when they would do communion, when they would take communion, I mean, we take it up here, the, the rich people would show up early, bring all the stuff, get drunk before church together, hang out, have a party, and then ostracize the poor people. Kind of messed up. There was a guy in their church that started sleeping with his mother-in-law. Yeah. Jacked up church, right? So if you're kind of coming into it and going, you know what, my relationships... It's pretty jacked up. His answer would still be the same, filled with hope and life. And he'd say it's less about falling in love and more about growing in love, but we've got to redefine what love is. Listen to what Paul says here, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. He says, love is patience. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. You know, when we talked about earlier that question, what characteristic do you most admire? You know, the one that I long, I kind of look back on my life, that I long for people to be able to say about me is, he was a man of love. And my kids would go, man, I so deeply loved. And my wife, the end of my life, would say, he loved me well. And it wasn't about a feeling, it's about a response, it's an active choice. See, love is not devoid of feeling, it's just not defined by feeling. And we've made it this wishy-washy thing, and I feel, and I fall in love. And here Paul is making this strong thing, says, you know what? There's something that you have to daily choose, and it's called love. It says this, listen, love is patient. It's really, really, don't lose heart. Have you lost heart in your relationship? It's the capacity to be wrong and not retaliate. Think about how powerful that is in a marriage when you've been wronged and you, you have the capacity within you to not retaliate back. It is kind. Kind is really choosing the best for another person. It does not envy. It doesn't want what others has and hates that they have it. It doesn't have to push others down to feel good about yourself. It does not boast. 
It is not proud. It doesn't have to be the center of intent, the attention. You know, when someone else tells the story, you don't have to one-up them with a better story. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It doesn't say my needs are more important than your needs. It is not easily angered. I mean, what about that fuse that lights? It, all, it keeps no records of wrong. I mean, just think about that. Think about in your marriage, if you began to choose this, you, you will not feel it all the time. Love is a choice. Said, so, okay, when we fight, when we fight, and it will happen, we're not going to keep a record of wrong. So that past thing that we talked about, I'm not going to bring back into this conversation and just slam you over the head on. Keeps no records of wrong. Loves does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. You want, you want to take the barometer of your love or the focus of your love? You ask the question, what am I delighting in right now? Where am I delighting in? It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I, I love that word always in there. It, it, it's, it, it's consistent. I, I mean, the question for me, and I realize it, that as I wrestle with this myself, is I go, man, I long to be consistent. That there's this always-ness to love. Love chooses the best even when you don't feel like it. See, the relationship principle for how do I become the right person is will you step into a life of love? The only thing you can change is you. You cannot change the other person. And sometimes we try to change, and here's what we do. We try to change so that we'll change the other person. You ever done that? You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to do this so that they'll do X. You know, and we do this all the time in relationships. That's not changing. That's called manipulation. That does not help your relationship. That breaks down trust. Did you notice how love was not about you? Love was outward focused. Love just said, hey, if you want to grow and become the right person, become a person of love, here's the litmus test. Here's what it looks like. And it's not about, because here's where we're going to get to. You're, you're going to ultimately get, I'm going to do this so that their garbage will go away. I said, no, no, no. You just do it. Because that's what it means to become the right person. And that's what I've done with you. See, you can't do this on your own, and you know that. I mean, some of you, like me, have that quick temper, and you've tried hard. And you just need to get to a place where I can't, but he can through me. I'm going to daily choose you. I long to be that type of person. What if this? You all have to-do lists, right? Yeah, I mean, you make to-do lists. What if what changed in your life, you made it to be list? You said, this is the man I want to become, the dad I want to become, the husband I want to become. And you began to say, I'm going to move towards that by his grace. The wife I want to become, the woman I long to be. And instead of a to-do list, you had a to-be list. 
and you stop focusing on them and their things and you said, you know what, I got enough of my own stuff. You say, hey, this is where I'm at. Because it's less about finding the right person and more about becoming the right person. Let me give you just a couple things that might help you along the journey. Uh, The first thing is literally, as we're talking about, take out the trash. I mean, would you take some time this next week for you and your, uh, you know, and just go, okay, what what is the junk that I bring in? And you can always argue, but she made me do it. But he makes me, every time she responds that way, I do this. No, okay. What is it about you where you need to take out the trash? And it might be, it might be your past family. It might be a hurt. It might be a wound that is from long before that is unresolved. What does it look like for you this week to take out the trash? I'd say, um, I love what Dr. Les uh, and Leslie Parrott said about this. If you attempt to build intimacy with another person before you've done the hard work of becoming a whole and healthy person, every relationship will be an attempt to complete the hole in your heart and the lack of what you do not have. Is that where you're at? Because we cry in our relationships. We long for the other person to complete us. And that was never their design. That was never their purpose. The other person, your mate, your spouse, was never designed to complete you. You are designed to complement one another. We'll actually talk about that next week. And yet we put all this pressure over here and we keep our garbage instead of taking out the trash saying, okay, God, I need to deal with this. Will you help me? We put it on the other person and wonder why our relationships aren't working out. Would you this week take out the trash? Real specifically, I think one of the ways to do that is get outside help. There are things that you can't deal with on your own. You need outside help. Where you just need to, letter A there, is form a board, a personal board of directors. Where you get people in your life and you get experts in different areas. You have a relationship expert that you go to. You go, man, I needed someone there. You have in the financial, maybe taking out the trash is you have a whole bunch of debt. And, and I especially say, hey, guys, if you're single and you got a whole bunch of debt, you know the two things that people argue about the most in a marriage? Anybody? Sex and money. That's right. We're going to talk about both. Uh, but... Uh, But you know how much weight and pressure it brings into your marriage when you bring a whole bunch of debt? And some of you guys are that right there. And if you would, especially singles, if you would commit to getting out of debt before you get married, it will set you up. That won't be a pressure. But maybe you're there. You're like, man, we're under that pressure. You need outside help. You need to get some help. You've been trying on your own, but you just can't quite get out of it. You need someone to get some help there for you. Maybe it's counseling, and you need to get some counseling. I just got to be honest. I am working at getting counseling for me personally right now in that area I shared a while ago, an area of anxiety. Don't let fear, don't let what other people would think about you, don't let it cost something to hold you back from doing what you need to do so that you can become whole. And become the right person. 
Uh, second thing is build a relationship library. In fact, I've got a bunch of books here uh, that you need outside help, and sometimes outside help comes in the manner of a book. Uh, and I'll share, here's a few, not all of them, but uh, here's three that we make sure every, in premarital counseling, that everybody has to read. Uh, things I wish I knew before I got married. They go over all the big things. Uh, five love languages, which, my goodness, this is one of those areas that, uh, I mean, I was beating my head trying to love my wife, and I would do things, and it is like BBs on a tank. And we were just talking about this just the other day. And we get so frustrated because we're loving and we're shouting love to the other person and they don't hear it. And they're going, what in the world? And when you begin to discover and go, oh, you know what? Because I'm speaking a language they don't speak. My wife's love language is time and touch. And I like to show it in service. It just doesn't work. So I'm like trying to do some stuff, and she's like, yeah, that's what you should do. No, she doesn't say it negatively like that, but I mean, <laughs> like, yeah, that's just part of being a part of the household, Ingram. You know, you're no martyr. <laughs> uh, let me tell you, hey, uh, especially wives, if you're having a hard time, you're going, my husband would never read a relationship book because I've been there. Okay, I've argued about that. I get that. Um, let me show you a great book because every guy wants to read this. It's called Sheet Music. The name is lame. I just got to tell you, uh, but it's all about sex. Um, and so guys are really interested about sex. And I would just say, we actually do pre, our premarital counseling. We have them, our, them go through this. I, we didn't read this until probably seven, eight years into our marriage. And man, I wish we had read it earlier. So helpful. It's such a source of kind of conflict and tension for us. We go back and it'd be one of those manipulate things. I'll do this if you do. And this really gave a lot of helpful insight. Money, if you're in the money area, uh, Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. Uh, you know what, if you've got a bunch of family kind of past, you need to unpack some history stuff. This book, How We Love, uh, is a great book. Um, and then boundaries, if you're feeling pulled in every single way and not sure how to uh, set boundaries for one, it, it, this is super important because if you don't learn how to say no, you'll be pulled in such uh, ways that your relationship just can't stand underneath it. And so here, would you build a personal relationship library? And since you guys helped out, I want to start your library out right there. Um, and if you, uh, if you want to, we have those books on the back. If you want to take a look at them, there are resources at the bottom of your notes there. Form a board of directors, build relationship library, and then let her see, invest now for your future later. Invest now for your future later. There's never a good time. It's never convenient. It, when it's not a big deal is the time. When it becomes a big deal, it's often too late. Invest now for your relationship later. Uh, number three, finally, ask the right questions. Question isn't finding the right person but am I becoming the right person? What can I do to change? Singles, uh, a question Andy Stanley asks, I love this question, are you who the person you're looking for is looking for? I mean, if you found the perfect man, the perfect woman, and, I mean, they're godly, they're handsome, they're beautiful, they were, uh, you know, winsome in character and all those sort of things, are you the type of person that they would be looking for? 
If not, would you step into a process of becoming engaged? If you're engaged, the question is this beginning the process of becoming uh, two lives into one. Ask this question, how can we be better together than we ever could apart? How can we be better together than we ever could apart? Where you begin to process life as one, where you move from me to we. You begin to make decisions in we format. You never make decisions in me once you're married. We, we, so you become one. We'll talk about that next week. We begin to process how do we become better together? We better, not you make me better, not you satisfy me, not you fix me. How do we become better together? And finally, for marriage, this question, it's a powerful question. It probably has saved us a ton in our marriage, a ton of heartache and pain. What's the most generous explanation for their behavior? What's the most generous explanation for their behavior. When we're talking about becoming the right person and you get into the middle of it, it is so hard to respond well because you see their garbage and their junk and you see what they do and you're just wanting to go. Because you develop a pattern with them and you don't actually think the best of your mate, you think the worst. We often go to the point of what's the worst explanation for their behavior. Uh, when we were early on married, I, uh, and we still struggle with this from time to time, but um, I, my wife is a, uh, in organization world, uh, what I'd call a piler. She likes to pile things, you know, and so she'll put piles of stuff up here, and so um, she'll kind of put it there, and, you know, so I'll have a pile of my things, and I like to think of myself as a free organizer, and so I freely organize throughout the house. My wallet goes over here, my keys go over there, you know. And we used to get in the most intense arguments over piling and free organizing. I mean, and, and I mean, I would just yell. I'd be like, oh, because she would take my things that I freely organized and put them in a pile on the dresser. And what you need to know about me is piles stress me out. I mean, I see piles, and they freak me out. I get, like, overwhelmed by a pile. I'm like, oh, I can't handle it. That's why I lay stuff out so I can see it. Once it's in a pile, I'm like, I don't want to touch it, and I won't for, like, a month or two months. I'm like, I can't deal with it. I'm just ignore that. <laughs> I mean, we would get in arguments about this. And then I came across this question. What's the most generous explanation for her behavior? Because here's how I'd respond. Because I'd tell her, I hate piles. And then I'd come home, and there'd be more piles. So you know what I thought? She's doing that to piss me off. She's doing that because she hates me. I knew I married the wrong person. See, she put piles everywhere. <laughs> and then I came across this question. What's the most generous explanation for her behavior? My free organizing did not make for a lovely home because it would just have stuff everywhere. And my wife's trying to create a home that brings life. And so she would take my crap and move it where it's hidden so that as you kind of hang out, it's a, it's a place that's peaceful. It's a place where you just can hang out. She's not doing it because she's, you know, mad at me. She's not, she, she's doing it because she's trying to create something. And I'm, the way I'm going about it is taken away from that. I still hate piles. We still have that. But I view them different now. 
I do. It allows me to respond differently to her. Now, we still have discussions of like even, I mean, just so, the, I mean, come on, Marys. We have the stupidest discussions and stupidest fights, right? I mean, like of where laundry goes, like because if it's over here, I can't mess with it. I, I'm weird, okay? And you get back to this question. Begin to ask great questions. Begin to ask the right question. What's the most generous explanation for their behavior? The fate of human race depends not on finding the right person, but on becoming the right person. Um, I wanted to close, and I'm, I meant to say this right up at the top. Uh, we're going to try to do a little bit of Q&A. Now, we may not have any Qs, so then we won't have any As, uh, and that is okay, because I meant to say you could text, and so if you want to text or you just want to ask, but you can text to that uh, phone number and, and ask, and by no means, I am not the relationship guru. Uh, there's some guys in here that I'll probably uh, lean on as well uh, that have been married longer and uh, there, but we'd love to just kind of have a conversation together and spend about five, uh, seven minutes together before we close and just go, hey, let's, let's wrestle with some things together. And we might hit it later, and I'll say, hey, we hit it. We'll hit it in a couple weeks. Or it might be something like, oh, man, that's great. This is where we're at and what we need to wrestle with. So if you have any questions, you can go ahead and ask them. And then I'm going to let it, the awkward silence, and we're just going to kind of be awkward together, and that's cool. And then I'll pray for us, and we'll close. <laughs> so any, any questions or thoughts as we're kind of wrestling with this? And nothing, nothing's off uh, limits per se, and if you're texting, uh, you can text it in if you don't want to, or you can just raise your hand and, uh, and put it out there. Yeah. Dealing, okay, you love spending quality time with people, and so on the flip side of separation, you're talking about the different needs of your, like, uh, your partner, so he needs separation, is that... Oh, like, so when he goes out of town, how do you deal uh, with quality time? Uh, one is just kind of think about, I, I wish I had a whiteboard. Um, I love whiteboards. <laughs> but I think one of the things is if you understand that you, you have a, kind of a, an emotional gas tank, right? And, and you can gauge it, and most of the time we don't notice that it's empty or full, and so if you can gauge where you're at before he goes out of town and making sure that, that your relationship is, is full so you spend some time, so you got to plan ahead thinking about, oh, we got, he's got a business trip or something coming up, and so let's make sure we spend X amount of time here. For me, I know for my emotions, uh, that for my gas tank to be high or low, one is like spiritually, that has a huge impact. Where am I at spiritually? Uh, relationally, where are we at relationally? And then physically, that's always a big one for me. I don't know what your three questions are to define how you're doing emotionally, but those are my three. You know, uh, spiritually, where am I at spiritually with God? That fills my tank. Uh, relationally, how are we doing? And then uh, physically, and if I'm, you know, that all incorporates for me how I feel uh, emotionally. So if he's gonna be gone a long time, then, then you want to make sure you do some pre-work ahead of time of, okay, filling your emotional, relational tank. And then also being strategic of communicating expectations ahead of time, of going, hey, you know what? Um, I'm going to probably want to Skype with you every night. <laughs> and he's going, yeah, it's 
it's three days. Um, it's going to be busy, busy, busy. And, 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 but getting a clear game plan ahead of time will help you and help him so that you don't have like this kind of friction because you had a, this expectation that you're going to be texting in between meetings and have this Skype conversation and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, I went there. I worked from sunup to sundown. I fell asleep, worked from sunup. And then you come back and you have a fight. That happens for us at, at times because we didn't clarify expectations on the front end. So I'd say make sure your emotional, relational tank is as full as it can be as possible ahead of time. And then clarify expectations for what that time away looks like uh, uh, for your needs and his needs. That's a great question. What else? Yeah. I can't. I can't listen and read. I'm. I'm. I'm a guy. Yeah. You can just. Okay. Yeah. That's a that's a great question. How do you balance trusting a person that you're intimate with, uh, with um, trusting not putting all your trust in them because of God? I'd say those are fundamentally two different relationships. Um, and so one is the idea of your trust in a person. Your trust in that person is determined by your level of commitment. Okay, so your level of commitment when you're dating, intimacy trust is low, so intimacy should be low. We flip that. We make intimacy high, but trust is low, and so we get a lot of heartbreak. Dating level, okay, you can't, you don't have a high commitment. You have a low commitment, so you have low trust, low intimacy. You're engaged. You have a higher commitment, right? So, so then now you have a higher intimacy with them and higher trust, but trust precedes intimacy every time. When you're married, this is the difference, and I, I want to talk about it a little bit next week, the difference between a covenant and a contract, we believe in contracts. I do this, and, and I sign on the dotted line, and then you have to do this. And it's this, a covenant is, amen. For the rest of my life, till death do us part, amen. Come hell or high water, amen. Now, so I, I can honestly say, in a marriage relationship, that ideally, the way God designed it, is that you have full trust. Where you go, because they're, they're fully in. You're not wrestling whether they're going to leave you. They're fully in. They love you despite, you know, how you look in the morning, you know. Guys, I mean, one of the big things for us is that we need to make our wives our standard of beauty. And that develops a huge amount of trust. But, but I'd say once you get into the marriage relationship, because commitment is secure, you can have full trust. Now, there are things where in your past and because of experiences you had, that, that trust, it has to be earned, and it's a process. And that's the difference. Respect is always given. Trust is always earned. You can respect him, but because some things have been violated, you may not always trust him. And so that, that's just one of those things where in a marriage relationship, the design is tr- because commitment is secure, I can trust you. Now, if you take out the trash, you don't have secret compartments. When, if you're fully honest, transparency is the pathway to trust, okay? And so if you want to have full trust, you have to be fully transparent on both sides. Um, now, in your relationship to God, those are just two different relationships. He's fully trustworthy. He'll never let you down. 
So you put your hope in him. You can't put your hope in your mate because he's not fully trustworthy or he won't ever let you down. There's a difference between putting your hope in and having trust in. Does that make sense? Great question. Um, Let me read this because Jay put it in front of me. How important is it that at some time, at some point in the relationship, you've fallen in love? Oh, cool question on, on what we're talking about. How important is it at some point that you've fallen in love? And, and remember what we said? We said those three big things last week, right? Uh, preparation trumps promises every time. Character trumps chemistry every time. And um, uh, patterns trump passion. Now, just think about this. A hundred years ago, think about how we used to date. What was it called? Courting. Who did you court? Yeah, okay, you weren't around. Neither was I. (laughs) Those your parents chose for you. Go back another hundred years, how did we do it? It It was arranged marriages. You'll find in the Bible there is no definition for how to get into a relationship. But at some point, if you do life long enough, you develop love, it appears. Because there's people who have had arranged marriages and they're deeply in love. There's people who have courted. And it was kind of lined up from the beginning. Now I'd say in our culture, this is where we're at, and this is just how we are. In our culture, we have this whole game. And man, is it frustrating and is it hard. If you're single, man, I'm sorry. I am. I mean, it's, it's like, oh, this is so hard because you're like hanging out. And you're like, does he like me? Does she like me? I don't know. And you're just kind of checking out. And then you like have to walk down that whole process. And I mean, all the insecurities. I, there's some points where you just go, man, I wish we were back to arrange marriages because that would be easy. <laughs> And, uh, you know, like for my daughter, I want to do that, you know. I'm like, (laughs) thank you very much. I'll pick a good guy or kill him, either one. But I'd say for us, we do have that falling in love mentality. Now, actually, Proverbs says this, and here's what I'd say. Falling in love is nice. Clicking is nice. But at some point, you have to have this, um, this mentality because we make that preeminent. We make that the most necessary first thing. It says a simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to accept. It, you, can, you can say it this way. Uh, a simple man, or let's say this, uh, someone in puppy love, someone infatuated, because here's what happens when you're, we fall in love, and it's a natural chemical response of the brain, right? It, it is just this chemical response where, it, you know, you have all these endorphins and everything flood your brain, and you have this moment where you're like, I'm in love. Now, here's the problem. You can fall in love with four people at the same time. That's not love. How important is falling in love? It's nice. Man, you, I, I'd say you want to have chemistry with the person You want to have, I would say, I mean, with my wife. Every relationship is different, so you don't make other people your your standard. You don't make other people's relationship your standard for how relationships work. Some people have met, got married a week later, and the relationships work great. Some people have met, got married a week later, and it's been awful, right? 
Falling in love is nice. It is fun. But if you're not able to make wise decisions, then it is not good. You need to be able to give thought to your ways. If you choose chemistry over character, you're destined to fail. That's what happens, though, when we put falling in love ahead of growing in love. Now, if you grow in love, focus on becoming the right person, and all of a sudden you look up and you see, man, this, this person's tracking the same way with me, man, it becomes winsome. It becomes awesome. A lot of times what we fall in love with is external. I don't know if you noticed, but we get older. Bodies change. Mine has. And so the idea of what we, we often fall in love with an idea and not a person. Make sure you're falling in love with a person. Uh, this is actually, um, yeah, I'll just read the question. Are extended platonic boy-girl relationships bad if feelings are felt by only one party? So if one party likes the other in a romantic way, the other does not. Can Gosh, you still yeah, have I, a platonic. I don't know why I felt the need thanks, to. Thanks for restating that. Question. I did not understand it. <laughs> Sorry. You do that one more time. Here, here's what I'd say uh, on that. I, I think that's a great question because we find ourselves in that situation uh, in the single world a lot. Are you honoring the other person? That's, that's a much bigger question. Are you honoring them? Are, are you saying, I'm choosing the best for you by staying in this deep relationship, which is kind of leading them on because they're always hoping that it's going to change? And a, and a better question isn't, is it okay, is am I honoring them? Am I honoring them in a way that says, I value you, I value your emotions, I value how you feel, and as a result, it means that we can't have the same depth of relationship if we're just hanging out and we want to act like brothers and sisters, but you want boyfriend, girlfriend. And so I just think that's probably a better question uh, to be asking. Am I honoring them in choosing what's best over and above what's easiest? All right. Do we have any in here at all yet? Any? Raise your hand. The text messages are blowing up, so. Okay. If Go you want. Do you want another one? While blowing you, up. Okay. Here's a... We got two. That's blowing up. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, there's like four. Okay, sorry. It's um, way off. This is a good one. It's a tough one. What do you do <laughs> if the other person... Oh, shoot. Touch, touch screen. What do you do if the other person doesn't change in marriage down the road? So what if you've been married a long time? And I don't know why I keep explaining. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's such a great question because here's... Uh, yeah, one great explanation, re-explanation again. Here's what we do in marriage life, okay? We change to try to get the other person to change. What's that? That's called manipulation, okay? That's not called love. That's called manipulation. The goal isn't to make the other person change. The goal isn't to become the right person so they become the right person. The goal is you say, I'm going to become the right person, and we do this all the time in married world, right? We go, okay, I'm going to do this so that you do that. That is not love. Let's be very clear. That is manipulation. And you've got to begin to go, 
I'm going to change because that's who I long to be and allow God to do whatever works necessary over here. Now, there's a whole other side of it when you're talking about an abusive relationship. And that's an area where you need to get help and you need to get out. And it may be for a season, it may be forever. But if you're in an abusive relationship saying, well, I'm going to change over here, whether it's verbally, sexually, or physically, you need to get out and you need to get help. And so you need to do that. And so that's not one where you go, I'm becoming the right person. You need to do that, but you need to get help or get out. Okay. See if there's a live question. <laughs> well, the tech, okay, yeah, this is great. There's a lot of texts coming in. Um, <clears throat> I'm just trying to sift through to see what would be a good one. Uh, okay, here's kind of a um, practical question. What is the first step to becoming the right person, if you're single, specifically? Yeah. Shower. Um, no, no. <laughs> awesome. Next question. Yeah. Uh, the first step always has to do with your relationship with God. First and foremost. How are you doing with God? It, 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 that's a do not pass go question, right? And you go, in becoming the right person, you, you step into who God made you to be. It starts with your relationship with Him. How's that going? What's it look like? As you do that, some of these things become automatic that you long to see change. That's that Romans 12, 2 passage. It's restated over and over throughout Scripture. That as you begin to renew your mind on God's Word, you begin to allow His Word in your heart, He will change you. And so the first step is just really you and God. Um, for unmarried people who are dating, is there ever a point in, dating, in a dating relationship where you should end it rather than changing yourself? Uh, for example, when is, there, when is their behavior a red flag versus something you should accept? So maybe a better way to say that would be... <laughs> I, 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 I just no, don't I, know if I'm reading the question. No, I, I, I got it. You got it? No, okay. I go, I'm good. I'm good. I got it. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. If I don't, you can interrupt me. I'm sorry. Maybe I just don't understand. And... Oh, dude, no, no, no. This is, this is a beautiful question. It's super important. I'm glad you asked it. I, I really am, whoever asked it. Because out of this series, I'm hoping some of you break up. Seriously. I really am. I actually prayed for that earlier tonight. I pray that some relationships would be encouraged, some relationships would experience healing and wholeness, and there's some relationships that need to stop, and that you would have the courage because you're in a dating relationship, and you're settling, and you need to stop settling, man. Come on. Somebody say amen. That was good. Thank you. I don't know why we're on that kick tonight, but I just got there going and whatever, uh, but, but here's the deal. Uh, in dating, you need to understand your commitment is low. Therefore, your intimacy should be low. We don't often do that, but that's the reality. If your commitment is low, you're, you don't respond to them as I'm committed forever to you. When you're married, it is a covenant relationship. I'm in it to win it, um, right? <laughs> but I'm in it until death do us part. That is way, way different. Now, back to the second part of the question. 
If your friends begin to say, I don't know about him, I don't know about her. If your family says, I don't know about him, I don't know about her, listen up. I love this passage. It's, um, I didn't read it. It's in uh, Proverbs, Proverbs 14, 15. It says, a simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. Here, you know what a simple man or a simple woman is? Someone who's dumb, struck, in love. Come on. I, I mean, when you have fallen in love, you're the most moronic person on the face of the planet. You do the dumbest things things for love and it's a chemical reaction in your side your head okay but i mean we do that and you need to have some people inside of your life that can speak into your relationship that you'll hear and so i'd say if they have violated the person you want to be and push you to become someone that you're not that's a red flag get out Okay, I could go on. That's such a good question. Uh, do I have to... <laughs> I'm sorry. Why don't you restate it? <laughs> I just learned to read two weeks ago. Um, yeah, I'm going to restate this question. Can a non-Christian and a Christian ever date? Are there, are there circumstances where that can work? Um, Is that the question? Yes. I was waiting for the restatement. No, that's it. Okay. I, I think that's a really good question. And, and here's what I'd say. Everyone's dating relationship is different, and there are exceptions to the rule. There always is. And you'll always find the story. Okay? Just, just let you know. You'll always go, it worked for so-and-so, and yeah, yep, yes it did. Sure did. Every dating relationship and how they came to be married is absolutely different. You can't use other people's dating relationship as your rule for how you're going to go about it. You need some personal convictions of what you stand for. We talked about that three weeks ago. And say, this is what I stand for. Now, now here's the interesting part. The Bible does talk about being married to someone if you don't believe the same thing. It says, and do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Now, now here's just the deal. And we get this. If, you're, if you believe in Jesus, have a relationship, and someone does not, you have a totally different value system. That starts you off worlds apart. It doesn't matter the chemistry. I'm sorry. And I have friends. I have a great friend who she's, and they, they got married. They were non-believers. She came to know Jesus. And man, we're praying. We're praying for him to come to know Jesus. It's been years but there's things she cannot share with her husband on a deep, intimate level about what God's doing in her life, the most significant relationship in her life, to the second most significant relationship in her life, and it hurts. So I'd say, is there exceptions to the rule? Have I seen missionary dating work? That's where you date a non-Christian to make them, you know, marry them, and they become Jesus, uh, become a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> Not Jesus. Sure, there's always an exception to every rule. I would just say, man, are you becoming who you long to be? And 
let's not put all that. Are they the type of person that you go, man, if they're a guy, they, they're going to lead you in a great way, and they're going to go, hey, I, I respect them. If they're a gal, you go, my dad gave me great advice, the only relationship advice he ever gave me. He looked at me, said, Ryan, marry up. That's it. That's his whole advice. And I did way, way up. All right. Okay, we'll do one last one. Um, I was running out of time. I will say this, though. Uh, there are so many killer, awesome questions coming in. Um, I think we'll probably end up making some sort of video or something. Oh, that's that a we'll good post idea. online. That's a um, idea. I just made that decision executively right now in front of all of you. <laughs> this is how it works Monday to Friday, you guys. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll keep sending in your questions. You don't have to necessarily text it here. You can email it to us, uh, Ryan or myself, any of us, any of our first names at awakeningchurch.com. Keep sending your questions. Maybe we'll, we'll shoot the video on Wednesday or Thursday this week. But these questions are so good. There's so many. Can't get to all of them, but we'll do a video and just kind of quick fire answer all of them. Uh, here's the last one. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase the question that came in. Um, setting the foundation on Christ is obviously key, but is there a point where resetting the foundation for a couple that's been messing up um, yeah. is just too late? Or, or is there always an opportunity? Can we always reset the foundation on Christ? Man. Well, one, that is a case-by-case -case situation. And that's a 10 thousand dollar question for a five minute answer and, and so there are times where it can go too far and too broken and you cannot pick the pieces up again and there's things that you can do that will destroy your relationship behaviors that you'll engage in I have a good buddy that thought he had the ideal marriage and you know life was just kind of coasting along and all of a sudden like I was talking about earlier he just hit it and fell and his wife walked out on him left him for another man he's like what happened we're actually he was we were talking earlier today he sent me um he's like man Give married people some diagnostic questions to help unpack how we're doing. Because I thought we were going great, and I couldn't repair it where we're at because it just hit me like that. It, because there's always two people in a relationship, it means that both people have to decide. Right? If you don't have both people in, then at some point it breaks down. And a lot of times, that's where it breaks down. And there are some things that happen, and I've seen relationships that have been healed and restored from affairs and these sort of things, and pornography and all that, but also seen it where it utterly destroys marriage. And, and I just say to you, that's why when I said invest now for your relationships, your future later, it's in the season when you least feel like it, when you seem like you least need it, that is most important to invest. Because when you hit rocky water and you haven't done that work, the foundation is easy to crumble. So I'd say that's my answer. Cool. Yeah, again, um, please, please send us your questions. This is so good. Maybe even better than teachings on Sundays to engage. So email your questions. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll make a video and try to answer as, much of the, as many of these 
as possible this week, posted on our Facebook and website and all that, probably late this week, early next week. So cool. it's awesome. You want to pray? Cool. Now, once we stand and we pray, great questions, guys. Great night together. Jesus, I just pray for each person in here. A real simple prayer. That as we walk out this door, you would give each person the wisdom to know what to do with what they've heard and then the courage to do it even when it's hard. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Have a good week. No, they're yours. Yeah. Okay, we need to explain something really quick. No, it's okay. Um.